So as we think about the message today and finding meaning in our lives, we have to think about the idea of our time. You know, what, what gives meaning to our everyday life? And, you know, how do we live a life that's worth living? So as we think about that, the title of today's message is FOMO or YOLO, right? So when you think about these ideas, let's, let's you know, we've all seen the memes and everything that goes along with this, but let's have a little fun with this. Let's look at YOLO for a minute. YOLO is an overused acronym for you only live once, usually used as a hashtag on your social media feed to excuse the stupid crap that you've done, right? That's how we use it. That's exactly what it's about. Something goes wrong and we just put YOLO and we move on, right? You know, even Jesus gets into the whole YOLO thing, but as Christians, you know, this is the unofficial Twitter page for Jesus here. His, his acronym for it simply says this. It says Y-O-L-T-B-T-S-T-Y-L-F because, hey, you know, this is the Son of God and he has meaning to life. But it basically stands for you only live twice, but the second time you'll live forever, right? And then you have FOMO, which is the next thing that comes up. And the, the definition for this is simply the anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media website, and there is no known cure for FOMO. I mean, people just live in this fear of missing out on something. And to, to kind of help you catch the heartbeat of what this is about, I'm going to show you a video clip. Yeah, I've been hearing about lots of crazy things happening tonight, things you don't forget. Things people be talking about for weeks. Dana, what is it? It's nobody. Everyone must be hanging out somewhere else. Guess you're missing out. Randy Talbert's parents are letting them have a party on their abandoned plate of land. Everyone's tweeting about it. Wish I didn't have to work tonight. It's Julie's sorority thing. Everyone's posting about it. Weren't you invited? Well, no. She said it was a small thing. Oh my god. Even Tom was invited. Tom with the skin thing. Hi, I'm looking for Holly. Holly's not been here since about an hour ago when she left to go to the movies. That's impossible. We were supposed to go together. Foursquare says people are hanging out at McSwiggin's Ale House and TGI Fridays. I have to choose. What are you gonna do? I'll just stop by one and then I'll head to the other. <laughs> These people. They're having so much fun without me. What am I supposed to do about this, Juno? Juno! Come on. Come on! No! 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 Hey, Dana, it's Mike! Oh my god, come on! Everyone's hanging out. Where are you? Come on, come on, come on. Where are you? You're missing the best night ever. A goose got into the bar. <laughs> Okay, as you can see, you know, we're kind of making fun of this whole thing, but most of us really do live our lives with this fear of missing out, and it drives us into these crazy, insane schedules. I was reading an article the other day by USA Today that's talking about that the average person tries to cram 40 hours worth of activity in one day. 
The average person tries to cram 40 hours of activity into one day. And I think a lot of what's driving that is this fear that we're missing out, this insatiable desire to live life to the fullest and have meaning and worth. And it's not in a new dynamic. We go back a few thousand years. We're looking at Solomon's journal here as the Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write these words down. And he's wrestling with these ideas. You know, do you only live once, so do everything you can. Take it all in. When he gets stupid, it's like, hey, you know, you, you take those risks and it happens. And then the other time is, is that you don't want to miss anything. And so you try everything and you just run your life crazy. And so we live in this tension of trying to get everything out of life that it's worth. And today, I want to help you see from God's Word how you can live life for all it's worth. So there are three principles today that we're going to jump into. The first one is found in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this, For everything there is a season and a time for every manner under heaven. And so the, the point I want to give to you first and foremost is that you need to live in the moment. You need to live in the moment. Now, it's different than living for the moment, right? So living for the moment is trying to suck everything out of it. And so what happens is that when you do a certain moment, it kind of loses its appeal and you have to do the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing, right? It's this law of diminishing returns. This explains 90% of guys' stupid behavior between the ages of 16 and like 25, right? Everything escalates. Everything gets bigger and better. And all we're trying to do is just live life for all that it's worth. But really what, what God's word is trying to advocate here is for us to live in the moment. See, when we look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1, there are two things, two words that he used to describe time. He says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So there are seasons and there are times. And so seasons are kind of these big picture windows of life, these appointed times of life, all right? And so it's like childhood. That's an appointed time of life. Adolescence, an appointed time of life. You know, new job, marriage, the newlywed years, appointed time in life. Young children, you know, that it, it creates these seasons that, that kind of tell this collective story of our life. So when we think about when we're born and when we die, that dash in the middle, this is what he's talking about, the seasons that collectively tell the story of our life. But when you look at the word time, and for a time for every matter under heaven, this word time is talking about those moments that make up those seasons. And so you're thinking, you know, big picture is a comprehensive view of your life. There's a time for everything under heaven to exist. So every experience, every season, every moment, there's time for those things to happen. And God is in control of those things. And so he's wrestling with this idea. And see, what God is really trying to say is, is that for everything... There's a season. So everything that we experience in life falls within a season. And then every moment kind of falls within that. But it's all under heaven. And it's all in the eyesight of God. And see, so many of us get caught up in wanting to get past this season because certain seasons are difficult. Or we get so caught up in what's going on in the moments in that season that we forget that it's fleeting. Right? Perfect example of that is childhood, child rearing. 
You know, when you first have an infant, they're cute, they're adorable, they're lovely until about two o'clock in the morning and they're screaming their full heads off and you have no idea why they're screaming. And suddenly this adorable little child that you and your spouse have brought into the world is suddenly demonic and possessed and (laughs) it is bringing out the very worst in you. And it's really easy to get caught up in that and say, I can't wait for this season to be over. And you're already thinking about the next season because the moment's getting in the way. And and what we don't realize is that, yes, this is a moment and this season will fly away and all that goes with it. See, that's the thing about seasons. Seasons have good and bad experiences. Seasons have great joys and great lows in them. There are moments that are positive and moments that are less positive that make up this season of your life. And when you live for the next season, you're not just throwing away the negative. You're throwing away the positive as well. You're missing it. You're not living in the moment and taking it in and learning from it. See, this is what Solomon tried to help everybody understand. His wisdom, when he looked at his life, he says, listen, we need both. We need to understand the seasons. We need to understand the time, the moments that make up those seasons. And we need to live. I mean, really live in those moments. So what does that look like? Well, he begins to unpack it in verses 2 and following. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. He says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. So there's a full comprehensive view of your life. And then he starts talking about work, okay? So there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. There's times to to do work, and then there's times to change work and uproot what's been done. And he says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Again, the context here is this idea of work. So there's a time to start things, and there's a time to end things. He says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. And so he's talking about in, in life, the totality of our work experiences. We're going to go through seasons where we're going to love our job and we're going to hate our job. We're going to be building up our job or we're going to be tearing down our job. Or we're going to be starting a job or ending a job. There's, there's this work that goes about in our daily life. It has beginnings and ends. And, and we need to look that that's a season, right? And within that season, there are moments. And we need to take those moments for all they're worth and live within those moments because we can learn something from the negative as much as we can learn from the positive. See, sometimes taking something apart that you have established and built helps you understand what happened better, right? It helps you think about who you are and what really happened. Sometimes it births a new idea. Sometimes it brings about a new passion. Sometimes it opens doors to a new window or of opportunity that you never thought could imagine. But if we don't go through those disappointments and grow through those failures, we never really grow as a person. And Solomon's talking about in his work. He had great successes and great joys. He built this massive empire. There were great days. The finished product was awesome. And he says, that's the season. That's a comprehensive view of my life. Is when I get to the end of it, I enjoyed what I did. And I realized it all came from the hand of God, as we've talked about in the previous two messages. But within those moments, there were good days and bad days. He goes on and he talks about the human emotions in verses 4 and following. He says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, and a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So he's talking about these human emotions that we experience. 
You know, there, there are going to be moments in your life, in whatever season it is, where you're going to laugh out loud. And then there are going to be moments in certain seasons of your life where you're going to cry yourself to sleep. And what he's saying is, is that in all of those experiences, you can find meaning. And that the moments tell a story, but when you're getting caught up in the moments, you got to look at the season, and then you got to look at the season comparing to your entire life, the totality of your life. And it helps you realize that these moments are fleeting, good, we don't want to lose, bad, we certainly want to lose, but the truth is, they're all fleeting. They all fly by. They all change. You know, when you see the, the passage here where it talks about um, gathering stones and uh, casting away stones and how that deals with human emotions, it's actually talking about even frustration. In your life, there will be moments where you're angry and frustrated. See, back in the Old Testament, what would happen is, is if you were mad at your neighbor, you really got ticked off at your neighbor, you took stones from your property that you've cleared out of your field and you would chuck them into the field of your neighbor. So when he's going through and plowing and harvesting, he's hitting rocks and stones, which frustrates him. He's got to pluck the rocks out, and you'd get this feud going back and forth between hostile neighbors. And he's talking about even in life, there's going to be moments that exist within that season where you're going to be angry, you're going to be frustrated. And see, we can look at these things as completely negative, but they're only negative if we allow them to dominate our life. See, none of us is going to escape frustration. None of us is going to escape feelings of emptiness. None of us are going to escape the hard days. The difference for most people is where those days point us. You see, if we're living for the moment, we don't want to miss out. You know, there's this, this idea that we just want to get past it. We want to move on to the next thing. And whatever we attribute that's disappointing us, whether it's a job or the spouse or whatever it is, we kick them out of our life and we move on to the next thing. Hoping that on the other side of that is some kind of emotional utopia. If we're, if we're living YOLO, you know, you only live once and you just take it in. And I mean, you, you, you don't put down any roots there either. It's like, man, you're just doing your own thing, how you feel, and it's all about the feels. And if it's stupid, you just cast it off as a big mistake and you move on. But see, the futility in both of those things is that no matter what's next, there's always the negative. And this is what he's wrestling with. And he's coming back saying, in everything under heaven, in every emotion, in every expression of work, there's room. It's going to happen, but it doesn't have to suck the life out of you, is where he's heading with this. He says, you got to live in the moment. You got to go through those moments. You got to heal through those moments. Just as there is a time to be frustrated, there's got to be a time to heal. Just as there is a time to be broken down, there's got to be a time to be built back up. He's talking about these emotions. He said, there's a time to seek and a time to lose. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. There's a time to, to start new things and, and embrace new things. And there's a time to let go of the past and let it be what it is, the past. In all of this, he's coming down to saying very simply that we need to manage our seasons and our moments well. See, we all have 24 hours in a day. That's 168 hours in a week. And if you think about how you spend your week on average, it's recommended that we sleep 50 hours a week. That we should get at least 50 hours a week in sleep. 
And then it says that a healthy work schedule, you know, the top end of healthy is 50 hours. You start pushing 50 hours, you're going to be robbing time from somebody else. You're going to be, you know, burning yourself out. And so that's 100 of the 168 hours already gone. And then it says to, for family time that on the average, on the low end, you should spend at least 17 hours just as a family, 17 hours together. And, and if you live by that grid, that means that it leaves you with 51 hours, you know, for taking care of the house, you know, you know, mowing the yard, your personal recreation, your spiritual development. That 51 hours is really about all any of us has that's truly free time. And the point the psalm is trying to make is that there's a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time for it, but there's not time for everything. There is a time for everything that God has purposed, but there's not time for everything that you want to do. There's no way that you can experience all that life has to offer. It's a vain pursuit. He's saying, live in the moments that are there for you, not for the next moment or for the moment that's there, which you can suck out of it. Live in the moment, experience it, dwell in it, slow down, manage it well, live in it and not for it. That's the first principle he wants to give us. The second principle is this, is that's to trust God's timing. See, if we're going to live life and get all its worth out of it, we have to trust God's timing in things. See, we got these two timelines that play against us, don't we? We have our timeline, we have God's timeline. And we think that our timeline is much more uh, effective than God's, or is, is, you know, we think that we see things clearly and God doesn't. We see this in verses 14 and 15. And Solomon comes back to this and he says, man, when I start thinking about my life and timing and how I live and what I do and what happens and what's next, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which has already been done, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. What is he saying? He's saying simply this, is that God has a timeline that's playing out in all of those seasons and moments. All right, so God's got a purpose. God's got a direction. Not that God's up there bringing the bad days. Not that God's up there bringing the good days. He's saying, in your life, you will have these experiences. And my life and my, uh, my timing has a direction. I have a purpose. I'm taking you somewhere and I'm journeying with you in all of these experiences. See, that's the difference between a believer and someone who is not a believer. See, we have someone, a companion, God himself, that walks with us through every experience. And we have that on top of friends and family and people that love us and support us and encourage us. And see, those that don't have a relationship with God, they have, maybe they can have that support network on earth, but they don't have that person, that companion, that God, that, is, that they know is good and is walking with them and, and has a determined purpose for their life. They're unaware of it. And this is what Solomon's trying to talk about. He says, I perceived in all the things I could do in my life, it doesn't last forever, but what God does last forever. I can't add anything to it. There's nothing that I can add to God's purpose and God's idea that's going to make it better. There's nothing that I can take away from it that would make it better. What God does is ultimately better. Even in the difficult things, what God adds to it, what God desires for it, can't be manipulated. I'm not going to come up with a better solution is what he's saying. And he says, and even think that there would be something that exists out there that would be new apart from God, in verse 15, 
He says it's crazy because it's already been done. Somebody's already walked that road. Somebody's already been down that path. Somebody's already tried it and come up to the same place that I'm at. And he says, at, at the end of the day, I need to trust God's timing. And see, how does this play out for us? It's like, okay, so God's got this purpose and direction. He's working out good. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. And then we have our desires. And, and what that does is that leads us in a life of tension. This, this tension. And see, the best way that I can describe this to you is to tell you a story about my dog, Rusty. You know, the, we had this uh, um, Australian Shepherd and something mix, and this dog was exuberant. Man, he was just a ball of energy. And walking Rusty was the most frustrating thing that any of us could do in the house. And I always ended up having to do it. And, you know, you would put a leash on Rusty Man and he would just run to the end of it and drag you along at the expense of choking himself. It's like you could not get down the road fast enough. If you would run, he would run. And he would just keep that constant tension on that leash, literally where you're kind of running sideways because you're leading with the leash arm. And he was just frustrating to walk. And we would make jokes about this in our house and talk about it. And... One day my wife says, you know what? As we we're talking about my frustration with God's doing and how things are playing out and why they're not playing out the way I want them to, she says, you know what? You're a lot like Rusty. <laughs> you and God are a lot like you and Rusty. You're running full throttle and God's like, just slow down. Just walk with me. Stay with me. And you're wanting to run 100 miles an hour at whatever expense to yourself. And you're missing walking with your father. You're missing his timing. And you're both frustrated. <laughs> and I started to think about that. You know what? What God really wants for us is to just enjoy that time. And so when Rusty and I would start walking, I started teaching him his command. Rusty, walk with me. And when I would say his name and I would say, walk with me, he would stop and he would wait for me to catch up. And for a few steps, at least, he would walk with me. I think a lot of times that God allows us to run to the end of our leash and we get frustrated and it yanks against our neck and we just feel like our whole life is falling apart around us, that God allows us to get there so that he can remind us that the real peace comes when we walk in his timing. We take things at his pace. And we're not so interested in getting to the fullest end of that moment or to the very next chapter, or the very next thing. But we learn to live in the thing that we have right in front of us. To enjoy the laughs and the smiles and the moments where you're just sitting on the couch resting. You know, the moments where you notice the sunrise or the sunset. You know, the simple things like having a cup of coffee with your, your spouse or listening to your kid read, you know, their first chapter book. And it's just slowing down and trusting God's timing with the big things so that you can enjoy him in the little things and you would experience the joy. See, what happens here in verse 11, what I'm talking about is right here. It says, he, being God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Think about that for a second. As it's happening, God can bring beauty to it. That's what that means as it's happening, not when it comes to full fruition. It would say, if it meant that, he would use the word season. And he has made everything beautiful in its season. 
He's talking about the moment, in its moment, as it's happening, in God's timing, he has made everything beautiful. But yet we know there's a next thing, right? He goes on to say, very simply, also, he has put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, what God is describing is that tension. He's like, I want you to live in this moment. I want you to see the beauty of what is happening right in front of you, no matter what it is, whether it's crying with a friend over a hardship, whether it's laughing with your kids out loud, whether it's resting on a beach somewhere or walking on top of a mountain, whatever it is, I want you to enjoy that moment. I want you to take it in for what it is and enjoy the beauty and the simplicity of life that I've given you. And yeah, you get that next thing. You got that goal. You got that passion that's driving you forward. And you just know that I'm there too. And if you walk in this moment and the moment that comes next and the moment that comes next and the moment that comes next and the moment that comes next, before you know it, you will be where you want it to be in the future. And more importantly, you will be in it with me. See, but what God doesn't do is God doesn't tell you the future and give you your, your five-year plan so that you can run five years ahead of him. He's put eternity in your heart, this desire for great and good because he's great and good. But he's done it in such a way that you can't search it out apart from walking with him. He wants you to trust him, to walk with him. See, Solomon began to understand this, and he bottom-lined it in verse 12 like this. Here's a punchline of, of his understanding of this principle. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. What he's saying, no matter whether you're living in the present or thinking about the future, what God wants us to do is just to enjoy the journey with him. There's nothing better than to be joyful and do good in the moment. To eat and drink and enjoy the work of your hands. To take joy in the simple pleasures of life. To be a steward of time and not a controller of time. One leads to peace and enjoyment and satisfaction and living to the fullest extent every moment that happens in every season of life. The other leads to frustration, manipulation, and criticism. You see, here's what we're talking about. It's this idea of, I'm going to give you a Greek word today. It's called a chaos moment. When God entered humanity as a baby at Christmas, what we celebrate at Christmas, he didn't actually enter at Christmas, sorry to disappoint you. It's probably April, September, nobody really knows. But when he entered into humanity, what he did is he interrupted lives, right? You ever had God interrupt your life? You're going along and all of a sudden God reveals himself and shows up in a big way and you're like, whoa, this kind of changes everything. You ever had those moments? My salvation was like that. So you're living this chronology of your life. You're going along, life as usual. God interrupts that timeline. He just reveals himself and interjects himself in your life. And he creates this moment where you experience him. You begin to see him for a moment. And what happens is this process where you begin to observe, reflect, and discuss who you are and where you're going in your life. You start to discover some stuff about yourself. That's the first thing to happen when God interrupts your life. You start to see some things about yourself that maybe are a little off, they're a little frustrating, and it maybe need to be changed. And so it's this idea of repentance, right? And then it continues to go around the circle to this belief side of it. And what happens is you start to think about, man, what my life could look like with him in it. We start to learn some things about God. 
And then we start to plan and and take into account what's going to happen. We take action. We move forward and we enter back into our life thinking differently. See, God wants to interject himself in the seasons of your life in that moment to show you something about yourself and something about him. So that as you're going along moment by moment, he is interrupting those moments and you're seeing him clearly and you're learning something about yourself so that you can live your life with satisfaction and fulfillment. This is what it means to trust God's timing and to move along in God's timing. So the third principle I want to give you today to help you to get the most out of life is to not waste your life. Right? So we live in the moment. We trust God's timing. And finally, we don't want to waste our life. See, God doesn't want you to waste your life. Sometimes when we think about waiting on God's timing, living in the moment that we have, we feel like maybe we're settling, we're kicking back, we're we're in neutral, we're going to miss something. That YOLO or FOMO just kind of kicks up. But see, there are two ways that we can waste our life from God's perspective. The first one is doing nothing. It's what you would think, the obvious. You just kick in a neutral, say, man, God's got it all. He's going to do everything. I don't have to dream. I don't have to pray. I don't have to put any effort. I'm just going to wait, and all good things are going to come to me. They're not. They're not going to come to you. God does have a plan for your life, and he wants, and he invites you to join that plan. He wants you to be a part of it with him, but he's not going to do it for you. He wants to give you the experience of walking together with him and enjoying that moment in his timing. He wants you to have those chaos moments, those moments where God interrupts and he walks with you and you're, you're just resting assured that, man, God's here with me. I'm with God and we're going through this season with great intentionality and purpose because he's with me. But doing nothing is a huge waste of your life. You know another way you can waste your life? Doing everything without any purpose at all. I mean, dude, you just throw yourself into everything. And you pack your life so full of activity and schedules that you don't have time to take in anything because you're just punching the clock, moving from activity to activity to activity to activity. How do we usually feel when we get on the other side of a season like that? Spent, exhausted, emotionally drained, and completely unfulfilled. And yet we run that cycle over and over and over again until we physically can't do it. And then we just lower the expectations and we do it over and over and over again on a smaller scale until we breathe our last breath. And then we look back and it's like, I I think I wasted it. See, we can live YOLO, we can live FOMO, and we can live with no reason at all. And all of those will cause us to miss what God has for us. See, what God intends for you as you live in the moment and you live in God's timing is to experience it to the fullest, to walk with Him. We see this in verses 16 through 22. I want to jump down to verse 22. It says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Well, the question, the answer to that question is Jesus. So I saw as I look at life and I go through life and I realize that it's temporary and I don't want to miss any part of it, 
that there's nothing better for me then I should rejoice in the work that's put in front of me. To live life in the moment, to walk in God's timing, to be satisfied in what's going on, for that is my lot. That's what's been given to me. That's the path, the journey, my story that I live. And who can bring me to see what will be after him? That's not a statement or a question of futility. Who can help me see what the totality of my life will become? What will be my lasting legacy? Jesus. Is it your career? Is it your spouse? Can that lead you to anything, your accomplishments, your trophy, your bank account? No. What will help you see what the impact of your life is? Whether your life was wasted or it was lived well is ultimately Jesus. He's the one that can help you see that. See, in verses 16, 17, 18, it talks about this dynamic just very, very clearly. It says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. He's like, man, I try to do good, and it seems to go bad. And things that are bad sometimes go worse. You know, things that should be there to solve problems actually make them worse. You know, I'm not finding any meaning there. It seems like a waste of my life. He says, And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every manner under uh, heaven for every work. And I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they see that whether they themselves are but beasts. He said in my heart, I'm thinking out loud here, is God actually testing humanity to see if we're nothing more than beasts? That we're just living out of impulse? That we're, we're, we're going on to the next instinct, to the next instinct, and never being satisfied with no rationale at all? No, he comes back in verse 22, and he bottom lines it, and he says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. He says, No, we're not beasts. There's nothing better for us, and we should rejoice in the work that God has put in front of us to to enjoy the moments in the seasons, to to walk with God and to live for Him and with Him. And who can bring Him to see what will be after Him? God Himself, I know who's going to help me get a snapshot of what my life means in eternity. See, when you get to your last breath, you're always going to want more time. But not just any time. You want more time that matters. You don't want to live out of your YOLO impulses. You don't want to live out of your FOMO impulses. You don't want to live a life with no direction or reason at all. You want to know that your life was full of meaning and experiences that mattered because the seasons were all adding up to a story that was greater than you. That's what God provides. I'll bottom line it like this. What's the constant in your life? What's the constant in your everyday life? Is it frustration? Is it the fear of missing out? Is it just going through, taking life haphazardly? Hey, you only live once, what the heck? Is it emptiness? Or is it this understanding that God is with me and I'm with God and I'm walking with him in his time, living in this moment, not wasting an experience, enjoying all it is that God wants to bring to my life.
because this is what God has for me. See, your pain isn't a waste because God brings comfort. Your laughter certainly isn't a waste because God brought that moment into your life to allow you to enjoy it. There's not an experience in this life that God doesn't want to redeem. And how do we redeem the time? Live in the moment. Trust God's timing. Don't waste our lives. In other words, look to him in every season. Wait for him in the moment that you're living and live for him starting today. It's about exchanging the constant in your life. Saying, God, I want you to be the constant and nothing else. And when I do that, I live life to the fullest.